Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. All right. So, um, shit, how do we start this roundup, given the, the, the last roundup? I can guarantee you that today, Cody, you're not going to say and we're off. Uh, no, at least not in the in the same sense. I think our our guest today is a uh, is is out outspoken affair. Um, I would agree. I, I, I mean, I, I I think we're going to have some really really good conversation today. Maybe not just throw gasoline on every bridge that we've ever walked over and flick a match behind us as we go. You know, it's funny. The um, I know a lot of people have 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 listened to the Matronella Roundup, and they've watched the pod, they've watched the feed, and they've watched the posts, and they've seen the comments and whatnots. And what they don't see is the DMs that slide into into us. And it is very surprising. It was surprising to me, at least, Cody, that one there were a lot of people that had very similar thoughts to Matronella. Two. Um, a lot of people obviously against him. And then a lot of people that go, I don't agree with Matt Ranella, but he certainly made me think about some things. Which is the point. That this is the, why we do Blood Origins. No, I think it was I think it was one of the most 
productive conversations that we've ever had. And I think, um, I think Matt is the perfect example for like, so Matt and I just drawing a line between Matt and I, I think it's the perfect example of what could, what, what's wrong with our society today. I agree with a ton of the things Matt Ranella says. I think he's very intelligent and I like him a lot as a human being. Then there's this batch of things that it's, and it's nitpicky, right? Like he says, everyone that ever hunts and posted on social media is not really hunters and it's bad. And I say, I think there's a whole bunch of people that are hunting for the wrong reasons and just want to be famous on social media. But I also know some really good people who, when they, when they, when they take an animal, share it with their friends on social media. And so I think it was a phenomenal conversation. I think Matt goes to some serious extremes on some right. of his beliefs. And I don't think he's opening up his mind to the possibility that we should deal with people as individuals and not put them in buckets. But I a hundred percent agree with him. Everything he said is happening. I agree with that. It's happening. I just completely disagree with putting groups of people in buckets, period. I don't like putting groups of people in buckets in any way, shape, or form, and he's doing that a little bit. But the guy's passionate. The guy's incredibly intelligent. Um, and the things that he's concerned with that are happening in the hunting community with, with are actually happening. It's just not mm -hmm. everyone's doing them like he claims. That's my mm -hmm. opinion on it, at least. Gabriella Hoffman, you listened to the podcast. I did. Welcome to the Roundup, by the way, Gabriella Hoffman. Thank you guys for having me. It's fun to cross-pollinate. We've had photo yeah, origins sure. on my podcast, so now I'm excited to be in your corner. So, agree, disagree, think he's a lunatic? He's provocative, for sure. And he does get you to think on some things. But I do agree with your assessment that generalizing every social media user who hunts in kind of a very negative light would not be reflective of most people in the hunting community writ large, in my opinion. Because there are good people. And I would say the good generally outweighs the bad. And then you have the bad examples on social media. And this is a larger conversation all of us in the outdoor industry have, especially those of us in media. We have about what's good, what's bad, what's kind of middle of the road. Could you take away multiple takes from it? And he certainly has a lot of opinions, probably even more controversial than I am. I mean, I, I'm not really controversial, I would say, to most people unless they're not really in our sphere. And I try to be even keeled. And even if I have disagreements with people, I would never say like, you're wrong or you're horrible or how you post is terrible. That's not the, the way to go about trying to get people on your side or at least to consider your opinion. I, I definitely go a different way with my opinions, I guess. But I try to present my opinions from facts-based kind of background rather than like could uh, coerce people into agreeing with me or feeling horrible about doing something, which we all have different perspectives. We all come from different walks of life. So I could see why he alienates some people, why some people may incline to what he says, certainly. And then people who kind of took away 
many of his musings thought maybe that he was a little too brash, that they could be open-minded, that he did bring up some interesting points, but maybe that he's too harsh uh, for, in terms of his tactics and that they don't want to see that go mainstream. So I certainly took away some interesting thoughts from him. I would not go about uh, outreach or social media usage in the same way he does. But I think he does highlight that there is some sort of, I would say some issue in social media usage. It happens all the time. Sometimes you see people who just post simply just to get likes. You don't know what their greater message is. I try mm -hmm. to be informative in my social media posts, not always make it about myself uh, mm -hmm. as best as I can. Um, but it's kind of hard sometimes when you don't focus on yourself, you get less engagement. So yes, that is a concern. Well, and, and it's, and it's makes sense mm -hmm. for someone like you, right? It's Gabriella Hoffman and you're, yourself and that's who you're promoting and that you are the brand you are the person and so it makes sense that you know you put yourself out there and you promote yourself that makes complete sense and i try to promote others too just because i have a wide enough platform whether it's people i interview on my podcast friends in the industry highlight interesting topics and stories uh, most recently i wrote about the gray wolf hunt in wisconsin which got actually surprising reception i was i was surprised that i didn't get more negative you were surprised that wolf a wolf article got a surprising reception come on <laughs> well it didn't get as much blowback as i thought it would oh, but you expect to get blowbacks okay yeah. okay okay when not engagement because anything about wolves is going to get you engaged oh, certainly because it is a canid it's very close to a dog and that that's certainly a very charged type of subject, and much like grizzly bears. Although I think wolves invite more controversy than grizzly bears do because the bears, they're not so close in proximity to us, a lot of us in the United States, but people associate wolves with dogs. So I could see why that does gin up a lot of interesting comments and maybe misinterpretation of what goes into the management system in the different Great Lakes states, what they have there. So it's, it's fascinating in that respect. But yeah, social media and hunting, I don't think that's ever going to be a conversation that ceases. It's going to continue. We're going to debate that for many, many more years to come, I think. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Well, uh, let's get some admin out of the way. Since um, this episode is going to be dropping on Monday, tomorrow is Giving Tuesday uh, in the United States. And uh, we are obviously a nonprofit, and we hope that you will decide to support us on Giving Tuesday. You can support us very different ways. Amazon.com, uh, if you decide to do a bunch of Amazon uh, purchases, smile.amazon.com is uh, choose Blood Origins as your nonprofit. You can buy some swag, some T-shirts. I know we haven't updated that, but that is a goal of ours in 2022 to do a revamping of our shop. Uh, you can join uh, the Conservation Club, if you're a brand and outfit, a organization, and truly help us uh, uh, move the, the needle in terms of our mission, you can simply donate to us, obviously. Uh, we have a donate button on our website. And uh, the other thing, if you, if you don't have any treasure, you can always uh, support us with your time and your talent, which is sharing and engaging and, and doing the good things uh, for hunting. Cody, did I miss anything? Did we lose Cody? Cody is no longer there. So we will um, see. He just popped off. Uh, so let me see what else I've got on there. The admin. We did have a guest uh, text in, obviously. Um, with the Matt Ranella episode, things get a little, obviously got a little crazy. Um, 
the text wrote, uh, the hunt purity index to Joe Rogan and the likely case that Matt will not be joining his brother and fam for Christmas this year uh, was a little crazy. We'd have to be blind not to think Ronella's get together and come up with these ideas to, to, just to drum up controversy. The old adage of just spell my name right. If Matt was sincere to his approach, we would not, we would not know or ever hear from him. Made for great entertainment, you guys got to get right back on this and run with it. What do you think? Conspiracy theory? Is Matt Ronella and Steve sort of in cahoots? And um, are they getting together? That remains to be seen. I don't know, because when I heard him talk about that index, I was like, this has to be embellished somehow. I've never heard of anything of that nature he certainly thought about it a lot, you know? Definitely. But I was like, it's too good to be true. I've never heard of this. I I don't know if there's any merit to his argument in that index, but hey, if he wants to roll with it, why not? But I gather you should put aside differences and get together right. with your family in Thanksgiving, even if you disagree with social media usage. So hopefully the brothers do get together and spend time uh, with their families over some turkey stuffing and other great Thanksgiving food items. So yeah, they shouldn't let differences come between them and a good meal with their families. All right. Um, so I think that t- covers all the admin pieces. Um, Gabriella, as the guest of our roundup, you get to kick us off in the direction that you'd like us to go. I know that you've sent some DMS and some text messages about um, some, some topics that have, uh, been on on the recent radar, recent radar of um, controversial uh, things in the hunting space. So, where would you like to start, Gabriella? We should start with one of the posts you guys have talked about with the Washington State Wildlife Agency and how they concluded and determined through a tie vote to not proceed with their spring bear hunt. Right. And that's really interesting to me because... I know governors are tasked with appointing commissioners and other representatives to the wildlife agency boards. And it seems to me, just basically looking at the situation in Washington state, it seems like it's been stacked with a lot more anti-hunters, those who are not receptive to hunting as an activity, maybe those who associate bear hunts with trophy hunts, black bear hunting, especially with trophy hunting. And I'm not sure what was taken into account, if any facts were presented, but judging by what seems to have been reached in terms of the determination, I'm very worried kind of from a, I would say, basic standpoint of what effect that will have on wildlife with hunters access, with science, and just impracticality. And so much more. I don't know. I just continue to see a trend with different state wildlife agencies whenever they are stacked with people who are not receptive to hunting. We saw this in New Jersey. I think of the Mm -hmm. New Jersey case study because Mm -hmm. that's an example of what can happen Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. you have not only a a governor who is so outspokenly against bear hunting, especially bear hunting that is not doing anything anywhere near terms of extirpating a particular bear, especially the black bear, from the population. Black bears are very prevalent in New Jersey. I don't know the exact numbers in Washington state, but I have no doubt there's pretty healthy numbers there as well. So the rationality behind banning it seems kind of politically motivated to me. And I I would, I think all of us, I, I know, especially you have called for kind of a depolitization of these wildlife boards. 
And I would hope we see more of it, but I'm a little pessimistic that in kind of these states out West or states where it's more heavily urbanized, you're not going to see science take over emotion or science take over politics. I'll hand it back over to you, but that's kind of my feelings about it. And it's, it's just a little disconcerting to me that they're playing politics with wildlife management. Yeah, so to, to give everyone everyone context, Governor Inslee or Insler Inslee, I think his name is 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 who it is in Washington State has the has a nine member commission. Uh, there are only eight people currently in the commission, so that's why there was a four to four vote. Uh, the four votes that went against the spring bear regulation change, it wasn't against the hunt. Let's be clear: the, the spring bear is a is a special permit. And they wanted to change regulations on the hunt to make harvest seasons in different units uh, the same, as well as quotas. They actually wanted to drop the quota in a certain unit. The spring bear hunt is used from a depredation perspective on timber, as well as elk and deer calf to reduce the mortality on elk and deer calf, as well calves, as well as. Um... Gosh, I just lost my train of thought. Anyway, um, so the people that voted against the, the spring bear regulations, um, and little did we know this, three weeks ago before the, the vote, we dropped a video about guard the gate. I didn't know that they, if there was a four to four split vote, the hunt would be canceled. I thought that if there was a four to four, if I thought if it, if it didn't pass, then they would just revert back to the old regulations and move forward with the hunt. In K, in this, in fact, if the commission does not reach a majority vote according to law, that hunt does not move forward. It does not revert back to the regulation as as, as soon as it's opened uh, for vote. The four people that went against it was Coons and Smith. Coons and Smith are the two new commissioners that are they come from a non-hunting background. Uh, Smith questioned the science, questioned the population models. Uh, even though the carnivore biologist of the state mentioned that this is the best available science we have, the the bear population, to your point, is between twenty five thousand and thirty thousand, based on estimates. Uh, they looked at bear densities in the East Cascades and the West Cascades, and the numbers of bears being taken uh, are far less than the percentage sustainable harvest that uh, science has de- determined. It's like 2,092 in 2020, and that number should be like 2,600. So the the stacking of that board certainly didn't help. The vice chair and the chair voted no to. And what was most disconcerting from our perspective, and I'll let Cody uh, jump in after this, is that Vice Chairman Baker said her, her one of her reasons for why she voted no was that there's no other mammalian species, game species, that has a spring season. And if we did, quote, this is what Baker said, then we would have a big buck contest in the spring. And that is very, very disconcerting, because from a biology perspective, bucks don't have antlers in the spring. So that, to me, right away was like, We've got people on the commission that have no idea of sort of biology. They don't, and they obviously are are just not even paying attention to the science, which is sad from a resource biologist perspective of the of the state. You know, these guys worked day in day out to sustain the resource, and anyway, Cody. 
No, yeah, very disconcerting. Um, if I if I was given three wishes by rubbing a genie out of a lamp, one of them would be that science dictated these kinds of decisions instead of politics. Um, but I think we're I I think in a very sad way we're past that. Um, I think we I think we have to start playing politics. Right. Like the the numbers that I saw about pro hunting people that filled out the comments forms and pro people, people for this hunt that showed up at the meetings, you know, one to 10 kind of numbers, one to eight kind of numbers on one hunter for every one, one pro hunt person for every eight or 10. I think for the the Zoom meeting, it was like 25 to one. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, okay. First of all, I, I don't want to get my words mixed up. That I, I what should be happening is good science should be mm-hmm. driving these decisions. Um, that's a hundred percent my stance on this. In addition to that, I think it's possible that we're screwed if we just sit here and keep saying that. I think people have to get out. And, and we're going to have to band together, you know, across the country a little bit, because I'm not a hundred percent sure that the bear hunters of this in the state, the, the, the Washington residents that hunt bears stand a chance when science gets thrown out the window, right? Like, I'm, I don't think those numbers stack. So educating that middle group of anti, of of non-hunters, you know, we, we had blood origins. We talk a lot about very simply dividing the world up into three categories, which is hunters, anti-hunters and non-hunters. Um, and in a situation like this, educating those non-hunters is, is the only chance. I, I don't know that just straight population diversity wise, if you throw them out and you have the anti, the people that are against bear hunting and the people that are actually for bear hunting, um, the bear hunters are going to lose that that numbers game, um, which is in, in the state of Washington. I'm not saying nationally. Um, and that's where we have to continue to try and figure out a way to get some non-hunters, some people who aren't against it, but also don't think about it during season to go, you know what? The science dictates we have to manage these animals. Um, we have people that are willing to give the state money to manage these animals under a scientific and ethical and lawful way. Um, why are we not letting them do it? I, I wish that the governor of Washington would put non-biased, non-political scientists, biologists on this commission, um, but he's putting people that are worried about big buck contests in April on the commission. I mean, he's, it's not happening, right? He's not putting the right people there. So we have to figure out a way to mobilize the numbers to uh, help the science prevail. Does this also stem from that new nonprofit, Washington Wildlife First? I think you first brought attention to these efforts. And I wonder if there's a connection to some of these new commissioners and this group to reimagine wildlife agencies and to move away from so-called consumption back to conservation in their words. Do, do these people have affiliation with that new nonprofit in Washington state? 
that Wildlife First is an interesting nonprofit. When you look at them, they're they're almost look they're 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 their stance is for something that I think is needed across the country, which is finding different mechanisms to fund conservation. But if you click the read more button <laughs> under that little statement, it says the page is not found. So either they're starting to like they're still trying to figure out you know where they're going. Um, or they're they're just sort of mobilizing themselves behind the scenes. Um, but no, I've they, they, I've seen stuff from them that the reason they want to find different, it's like they're admitting that hunters and anglers are currently funding wildlife conservation, yeah. but they want to do that's away true. with that and yeah, find another true. way. Like it's not An they're trying to find that's additional right. methods right. to make it better. They're trying. They're like, yeah. These hunters and anglers are right. They're the ones that are funding all the conservation right now. Let's rip that argument away from them and find another way to replace license fees in Pittman Roberts. And, and it, I, I don't think that they're, I think they present a front that we could get behind, but it's just a front. Well, let's sticking with that topic. I'll, I'll morph us a little bit. Uh, Gabriella, have you seen any of the, the rain coast uh, conservation? stuff that's coming out of British Columbia right now? No, I haven't. Could you care to inform me on that? So is it Rainforest Coast or Rain Coast, Cody? I keep forgetting. Rain Coast Conservation, right? So Rain Coast Conservation is this big nonprofit that sits in British Columbia, completely anti... This is what their statement is. They say we're not against hunting. But they're anti-trophy hunting. They are okay with you hunting for meat. So what they've done is they, in the last couple of days, articles have come out that they have uh, secured the another block of rainforest, and they have the the securing is the um, they have essentially bought the hunting outfit rights for this this area essentially, and um, I think it's like one point nine million acres. Or maybe they paid $1.9 million or something. There's 1.9 million is, is a number that's rattling in the back of my brain. But essentially what they did is they bought the commercial hunting rights to the area. And so what they're saying is we've got a bunch of ecotourism operators in this place, 19 ecotourism operators, and uh, we want them to flourish. And we don't think trophy hunting fits with this model. We don't feel like trophy hunting benefits wildlife. And so we're going to buy out the commercial hunting rights. So here's the nuance. If you're a local resident of British Columbia, you can hunt. An outfitter cannot sell any hunts to non-residents, is what has been taken away. So, controversial, but also... They're still allowing hunting. They've just taken away the revenue stream that's coming in that, again, to the point that we were saying earlier, they've taken away the revenue stream and replaced it through uh, non-profit fundraising efforts. That's an option some groups are trying to explore even here in the United States. It really hasn't taken off quite yet. Similar efforts, but I've seen discussion and I've heard of different scenarios where when it comes to, let's say, 
tertiary activities relating to hunting, let's say if it's public lands management, whether it's grazing rights or timber, uh, different interests, especially environmental interests, are trying to buy those rights to graze, get those permits, right. and then not allow for that, which to some is kind of a defeatist thing because you're supposed to do those activities on those lands. I haven't seen anything comparable for hunting, so to speak, yet I don't think a model like that would fly in Texas. There would be a lot of opposition to that. And perhaps to um, efforts maybe in Africa, I don't know if, they, if Africa, that would that would be tolerated either because they rely so much on the monies that come from trophy hunting. But that is very curious and uh, something we should be on the lookout for if they try to buy hunting rights. I don't know if it would work on a public land structure because people really do value their opportunity to hunt. And what what would prevent them from labeling, let's say, hunting an elk or hunting a deer as labeling it as trophy hunting? We don't know to what extent that label would be extended. I could see that being twisted here in the States to be anything big and beautiful in their mind and something that that could obviously generate a lot of sympathies through the anthropomorphic kind of associations, things of that sort. So I don't know what would stop them from doing that, but that hasn't really been started here. So I don't, we, we shouldn't be giving them ideas <laughs> to try to do that here in the States. But I think in Canada, because they have succeeded in stopping the grizzly bear hunt, they've succeeded in forbidding some, some other types of hunting too. I think it's certainly fertile ground for that because they have slowly chipped away at some form of hunting, but could that happen in the United States? If, if they have enough resources, they could. If they wage a campaign that pulls the heartstrings, unfortunately, I think they could succeed. But uh, so far, it hasn't been tested, and hopefully it, it isn't. But I'm not sure um, if you see that being viable here in the United States. I know, like I said, in Canada, um, it could work there because they've convinced enough of their population, unfortunately, that 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 revenue is not mm -hmm. valuable or meaningful to the mm -hmm. region. Well, it's it's tough, you know. It, it it's a they're obviously using a lot of language that is biased to their cause, right? So they talk about the permanent end to commercial trophy hunting. I haven't explored this. I don't know the the details. To me, that doesn't sound correct. That they have bought the commercial hunting rights in these areas, but to me, it would be a tenure, right? It would be a five year, ten year, fifteen year tenure. It's not in perpetuity and they're saying in perpetuity here now in their article and on the website right now they may be using the language perpetuity to generate donations to say hey we're doing this great thing um and they're suggesting also and they say here this purchase also exemplifies the new economy as there are not more than 19 ecotourism companies who rely on respectful wildlife viewing um i don't even understand it go ahead Cody. I'm the dumbass that doesn't understand. Like, so literally, they're not. They're 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 stating on their website that they're they're not against hunting. The locals they have no goals to restrict the locals' access to hunt. Correct. Correct. The First Nations. The First Nations can hunt. Okay. Is it just First Nations? And I'm not familiar with this country. Is is it only First Nations people living there? Or can the can the European ancestry type people, non First Nations people, also continue to hunt as they had? No, British Columbian resident hunters can hunt. Right. So it, this is not. This is literally just we don't want people 
to make a lot of money off of hunting. That's right. And we don't want to see, we don't, we don't believe the trophy hunting. So the Raincoast Conservation, uh, this, there's a lady called Re. there's a scientist on the, on the board that is a little controversial. Oh, gosh, I can't remember his name. I talked about him before in a, in a roundup. He's their like lead scientist, but he's tied in with, um, I'm not going to be able to find it. Um, he's tied in with the university. And their whole thing is that trophy hunting is not socially acceptable any longer. That's their deal. And they're buying up all of this commercial opportunity to hunt in the Great Bear Rainforest so that they're essentially protecting the populations from trophy hunting. Now, are they against the locals going out and trying to shoot? No, because they believe that the locals, they believe that the locals are only doing it for meat. I don't know about, I don't, it doesn't, I mean, and so in, as opposed to one trophy hunter bringing by their numbers between 10 and $35,000 into the community, they're going to replace that $35,000 with eco tourists paying $50 a day um, and go from one person trampling around the woods or three or four people with a hunter and some guides to, to a a couple thousand to replace that. I'm not a math person, but a lot of freaking more people to replace those dollars and none of it makes any sense to me. None of it makes any sense to me. And that makes me, suspicious even though i don't like assuming things um none of it makes any sense to me yeah it's an interesting you know the raincoast conservation foundation is against trophy hunting because they believe it's socially unacceptable and they are purchasing commercial trophy hunting licenses uh this one specifically they already hold the hunting rights of 38 thousand square kilometers they want to purchase another nineteen thousand square kilometers they believe it's 1.9 million um and you know what it may be in perpetuity because um when i think about outfitters up in canada and then buying outfits cody i think you may be familiar with this they go in and they purchase an outfit from someone cost them a lot of money like 1.9 million dollars and it's their outfit until they decide to sell it again right government usually retains rights to strip it if you know if there's violations and things but yes you can you can it's like uh it's like uh the the u.s does that i don't know if they still do but they used to do that some with like blm grazing permits like your kids would inherit this grazing permit in you know unless you did something to get it stripped away yeah um but there's certainly um the guys that are the big kids on the block up there in british columbia the rain coast conservation foundation um and the specific scientist gosh i can't remember his name i'm gonna have to i'm gonna look for it right now um But yeah, I hope it doesn't come to the U.S., um, but they're certainly setting precedents, right, Gabrielle? Certainly. We have seen kind of a discussion of moving 
excise taxes away from hunters and anglers and shooters to kind of a more public use model, um, more so even for public lands management. That's kind of a prevailing attitude I'm starting to see being discussed by outfits like the Aspen Institute. They want to kind of move away from this multiple use management, sustained yield philosophy, which does include grazing, hunting, fishing, things of that sort, to kind of a public use and then we, we've had this conversation about who should be funding and people kind of want to move away from the model of hunters, anglers, and shooters to backpackers, hikers, which is controversial on its head. And I'm not sure if it's practical or how much they'd be able to generate through that. And I, I selfishly want to keep hunters and anglers as kind of the top funders of it and get more people into those activities. And so I may be biased against that argument of trying to change the funding mechanism, but I do kind of see it mm -hmm. like that, where it's a preservationist interest to try to say, no, no, we'll allow for some hunting on our terms, but it's so repugnant to see everyone do this type of hunting. And like I said, I don't know if such a system could be exported below Canada down here, but give them ideas and who knows, they'll row with it. And I think, like I said, if they're reimagining state wildlife agencies, who would stop them from trying to buy hunting rights, especially on certain areas. Maybe they could take right. over different hunting lodges and say, you know, this lodge is, the owners are dying. It's up for sale. Why don't we buy this and, and take control of this and prohibit hunting? And if this were to be adopted on public lands, I don't know, they would have to go through the Bureau of Land Management to kind of take mm -hmm. away people's options to hunt mm -hmm. or the mm -hmm. Forest Service or other public lands where hunting is permitted. So that would be more complicated to do on public lands, but I could see them possibly looking into doing it from a public or a private uh, means. And a, a show that I've talked about that I love watching that kind of explores this a bit is Yellowstone, which has Kevin Costner. And they kind of talk about land developers coming into the region, trying to buy different properties, different ranches, hunting and grazing rights, things of that sort. So you kind of do see it fictionalized, at least, with different threats to this our lifestyle and into adjacent lifestyles to hunting. So who is to say that it's, this wouldn't be tried, but I think it's in theory right now, but we don't want to give them any ideas. <laughs> with respect to well, that. let me just play devil's advocate because this is what I'm struggling with. And the, and the scientist's name is Chris Daramont. Um, very controversial scientist up there because, you know, he's very much against, he's a hunter himself, mm. uh, but he is not a trophy hunter. Let me play devil's advocate. The purpose for why we hunt is so that there is sustainable wildlife on the landscape for our kids and our grandkids one day. If someone like the Raincoast Conservation Foundation raised enough money and bought the commercial hunting rights for an area and it still preserved I use preserved very purposely, preserved wildlife into the future. Is that such a bad thing? It depends because preservation can be used very negatively and it har harms every stakeholder involved and even the animals included. So to me, I think preservation, if not done carefully, could harm and I would say undermine the very animals they're trying to protect. 
the scenario here, I use preservation purposely, preserve purposely, because there is no use. Mm -hmm. There's no sustainable use of the resource. And as such, they're relying on Mother Nature to do her thing. She's going to control populations. She's going to cause immigration and immigration. And population dynamics are going to be structured by, by Mother Nature herself. But they're not. They're still, they're, they're still allowing honey. That's true. I mean, I think this, this is what I think. And I've said this a dozen, three dozen times on episodes of this show. I hate assumptions. I really do. But I can't fight them off all the time. And if what they're doing stays at its surface level right now, what we're seeing, that for some completely unburdened by data reason, they don't like just commercial trophy hunting. They're still going to allow people to go and trophy hunt there. Correct. They're, they're still going to allow BC residents and First Nations people who also, by the way, a lot of First Nations people, when they go and hunt, are going after mature males. Not, mm -hmm. not saying that I all do. Some of them are straight the first meat they come to, just like some non-First Nations people are. But there's a whole lot of hunters who, when they go out, are looking for a big, mature male of this species, generally being... And I, I don't see how that's any different than paying an outfitter to commercially trophy hunt. It's the exact same thing minus the exchange of money. It's mm -hmm. kind of – but if what they're doing – if what they're doing five years from now isn't any different than what they're doing now, I don't have an incredibly large problem with it. I think that some of your your – hotel and lodge operators and your restaurant operators and some of those are going to suffer greatly from no it. they won't because they've got 19 ecotourism operators and you said it yourself they've got thousands of people coming in instead of the four or five people coming in yeah but it's still it's still a massively different amount of money being put into the economy but not for hotels a guy that's going to look at a grizzly bear versus somebody that's going to hunt he's still paying 200 bucks a night I bet you that there's hotels up there that, are, but and maybe they'll be able to go out and find eco tourists to replace it. I bet you that there are businesses up there that relied intensely on the commercial hunting industry to make their to make their nut during the winter. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but I, I, you know, just to sum it up, I'll, I'll be anxious to see in five years we revisit what they're what their actual goal and actual mission is. I'd love to sit down with them and get a firsthand explanation of why you're opposed to commercial outfitting, but you're not opposed to a BC resident going in there and doing the exact same. I think thing. they are. I think they are. They just can't control that. Right. Well, they have no. They have no control there. And I guarantee, if you ask the question to Chris Daramont right now, he would say absolutely. We'd want to get rid of that too. You think he'd say that vocally? I don't think he would because I think he's absolutely. Gonna, I don't. He, think would, he would say would. absolutely. We would be against the trophy hunting. Period. We're not. We're fine with you hunting for meat. 
it doesn't make any sense. There's no science, but it, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me. Someone's someone's not showing us their cards in this conversation. Maybe it's just a messaging thing. Maybe it's just a look at what we did. You think that you think Daremont would say to us right now on our show on record that he's opposed to all trophy all trophy hunting. One thousand percent correct. What does that even mean? I hate this conversation. Because there is because there is a social there is a societal perception around trophy hunting. And there is a societal unacceptance. Is that a word? Unacceptance? Non acceptance. Lack of acceptance. Thank you, Cody. Thank you. That's why lack of acceptance. That's why you that's right, that's right. You PhD in English structure. Thank you. Yeah. Dropped out of junior college. There is a societal uh, lack of acceptance of trophy hunting. And as such, especially in British Columbia, the public does not want it anymore. That's why they lost grizzly bear hunting in the state. They don't want what, what, though. Don't Don't say trophy hunting again. They don't want what. They don't want people to go and kill just for the sake of killing. Okay. So now we're talking about motivations. Which is what, according to society, is the motivation of a trophy hunter. Is that you just want to go out there, you want to kill the biggest thing, because you just want the biggest skull or the biggest set of antlers, and you just want to put it on your wall. That is your motivation, and that motivation is not societally acceptable. I don't want to divert the whole episode, but the, it's it's starting to piss me. <laughs> Gabriella, this was supposed to be non. This is non-controversial. I don't know that that. this week. I don't know a single. I don't know a single person, and I I ran an outfitting business for a decade, and and have hunted for. A long damn time. I mean, I've, I've actively hunted for over for almost forty years, and I don't know a single person that that's the only reason they do it. I also know that all the people, not all, a great big chunk of the people that are still going to hunt those lands as British Columbia residents, um, both First Nations and not. Their choice on pulling the trigger is going to be dictated by the size of the animal and the size of the antlers to some extent. And and which is the exact same situation as someone who traveled up there for the experience and the horns and the meat. Uh, Last thoughts. Last thoughts. Let's move on to one more topic because we've just absolutely eaten up the time. Gabriella, last thoughts. I think a trophy is subjective. I personally wouldn't hunt so-called trophy animals. I would like a black bear one day and an unable elk. Those are kind of my top on the list. But I do support management of the so-called trophy species here in North America, so to speak. But I think the term is subjective. And a trophy can be a nice doe that you harvest with a doe tag. It could be upland birds it could be waterfall i think it's subjective and i think these people don't know hunters to make but an assumption in, but in general society yeah. that trophy is not subjective yeah they 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 lump that term 
unfortunately, with the big five in Africa or some of the apex predators here in North America. And I'm not sure what the test messaging is on that term. I would be very curious to see if people respond better to different terminology, management of big game species versus trophy species. Mm -hmm. I think that would be very interesting for someone to commission. But yes, certainly the, the trophy term does irk people and they see it in a negative light uh even if you don't want to hunt them yourself but yeah that that is something interesting and um yeah british columbia is an interesting place with respect to hunting my gosh yeah it is a hotbed just like california and washington yes. state and oregon it's like the what's going on there on the left coast they're all connected <laughs> yes all con on the left coast <laughs> I'm from California, so I, I, I know a little bit of it. Oh but I think even the, even the Pacific Northwest, which I think is the other story we should talk about, which is something interesting. And I think that hunters can get on board with to discourage poaching even more. I really like Heck this Heck yes, let's do that one. I love that article. Let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah, something more positive. And I believe it's from – it's called the Turn In Poachers Tip Line – from the Oregon Hunters Association offering up to $1,500 in reward money for tips leading to the arrest or citation of offenders in the case they're citing some poaching incidences affecting some deer and elk. And they said, alternatively, monetary reward can be substituted with preference points for a drawing for hunter licenses in hard-to-hunt places. And I think this could be a good motivator to get people to... I, th I think this could motivate people to report poachers better. And I see this even in fishing. There are so many people who fish illegally. They take more than their lot. And I'm not sure if money is going to incentivize them to report more or people are afraid of snitching, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But even in my state, I remember reading a story. And now we have an elk hunt, actually, an elk lottery coming that is being introduced for the first time in February of next year. If you guys want more details on that later, I would be happy to send you some more. That's a very exciting development here. But I remember there was an elk poached, and I'm not sure if anyone was given an, a reward for information leading to it, but I think if there's the option to report poaching incidences, like what they're trying to explore in Oregon, and if mm -hmm. the results come back positively, I think it could be a way to get people who may be timid or who may see the need to kind of see see more than themselves to kind of think of the greater cause of let's say conservation wildlife management to kind of put aside their hesitancy and do this for the greater good and if you get a bonus in an incentive financial incentive or points i think that's not immoral or illegal as long as it's in line with kind of the mission statement of the wildlife agency but i think that's an interesting program if it ex is exported all across the country who knows what will happen? And maybe that'll help to change perception of hunting when people recognize that poachers and hunters are not the same thing. Yeah, I love the idea. I love the idea of the program. I love the idea of the money. And I think people are like, oh, the money. But the preference point, that's a, that to me is, is quite a game changer. Uh, I don't know if, how many preference points they would give, whether it's one or two. They'd have to figure out like what would be something that would really incentivize someone. But to sort of the elements of what Matt Ranella said, elements of what Rob Shaw has said in the past, as hunting pressure increases and point creep increases in these areas, specifically the bigger units with more, the more, more trophy units, if there is a program in place in which you can turn poachers in 
and you get preference points to hunt bigger units, I think you will see an uptick in reports and people not being as timid any longer. What do you think, Cody? Yeah, I don't see a, how it how it couldn't a little bit. I'm always quasi-hesitant of like the workload increase, right? Like I, I know from being in a law enforcement family that as soon as you offer a reward for information on a crime, the 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 workload and I I'm not against it. I'm not making a case that it's wrong. I'm saying it's not as clear cut that it's a great deal um, because you may all of a sudden get 90,000 tips that are and 84,000 of them are crap that someone's got to chase down. I don't know that that's going to happen. Um, but in, in anything that they try to uh, reduce the illegal take is a, uh, is a good thing in my opinion as long as it's not so resource heavy that well your your observation is extremely astute because in the article itself it talked about monies being put into four new trooper positions to aid in this effort and Oregon is one of two states Alaska being the other in which state troopers can also prosecute crimes against wildlife not just game wardens yeah I don't you know, let's try it. See what happens. <laughs> oh, I love it. He's so flippant sometimes. Well, uh, Gabriella, I think that was a great ending to... We were getting close to the, the hour-long mark, and we like to keep these things to the hour. Um, not shy of any controversy today or controversial topics. Um, anything else on your, on your brain and your heart uh, at the end of this to sort of tell our viewers or berate Cody or anything like that? No, you guys were wonderful to chat with. This is a very good format. I really like the idea of a roundup and you bringing on different folks, myself included. It's an honor to come on and, and chat. And something I guess maybe positively, I am encouraged that we are seeing more people go into the field. I'm not sure what the numbers look like this year or when that five-year report is supposed to come out, but I am encouraged to see many, many more people fishing and hunting in the United States. And I think we just have to keep that going. And obviously we can be mindful of the land that we recreate on and not maximize too much pressure and also encourage people to buy their licenses and to keep going. But I, I'm optimistic a little bit, unlike some other people in media, to to kind of see hunting continue to grow. And I think we're going to be able to change people's perceptions if we do it effectively. You guys do it blood origins with all your different endeavors and your videos and your interviews. And I think there, there's a multi-prong approach that you can take to, to really kind of highlight hunting as this multifaceted activity that it's not just the kill shot and there's a lot more to it. So I'm optimistic. I want to remain optimistic, be a half glass full person, and I'm going to try my best, whatever little role that I could play to do that. And I, I'm encouraged by your guys's effort and I love following along and seeing what you guys do. And I think all of us who have a position or platform to be able to inspire people, I think we have to do a good job of showing what a good example of uh, hunting behavior is like. Absolutely. Cody, final words? Uh, yeah, Gabriella, I, I, I think you have, I put you in a pretty elite class of people who inform me. Um, 
like I, I really appreciate um, you're doing a lot of we we try to do the same thing at Blood Origins. You're doing a lot of work because you're not just you're not just showing me a picture of a fish you caught or saying how bad this headline is. You dive into things and give us details and facts on things. Um, tell do a little. What's the best way for the folks listening to this to get that information from you. Absolutely. If they want to learn about underreported topics or controversial legislation relating to conservation, they can check out my podcast, District of Conservation. I broadcast it weekly and we put out maybe one to two episodes. It's been going on for a few years and we're going to continue to explore some interesting topics. And I expand a little beyond hook and bullet activities to energy and kind of the intersection with that in conservation and how you can have kind of balanced use in place. I try to make that argument. It's not really popular these days, but I try to do a good job of showcasing stewardship in that respect. And I also do a video series called Conservation Nation with a free market environmental organization where we also highlight stories similar to what I cover, but in video format. So I try to highlight the positive, the negative, the in-between, and get people kind of a bird's eye view as to what is happening in Washington, D.C. Since I am so close to it, I think there are so few people who have the patience to live where I live and kind of be surrounding surrounding themselves with politicians or talking to politicians and cutting through the noise that you sometimes see. Uh, but being in this position close to Washington and then also keeping my ear on what's happening all across the country, I think that's what some people in my area don't do well. So I try to help fill a void where I get the ear of people in Washington, but I also pay attention to what happens around the country and it's needed. And I hope more people do pay attention to what happens in their communities I'm very encouraged. Also in Virginia, I think you're going to see a lot more pro-hunting legislation. We're, we're still having public land hunting on Sundays for some reason not in effect quite yet, but that's the last blue law that we have, and that's something I think you're going to see come from us. Like I alluded to, we have an elk hunt that is going to be open very soon for both residents and non-residents. It's a lottery, and I am very passionate about this story. Personally speaking, I got to see the elk herd, and it's so nice to see that this, the herd has reached healthy levels to where we can cull them and keep a sustainable amount of them and allow people to hunt them. And we don't know the full details yet as to how many tags are going to be available, but I think your listeners can look forward to different positive news coming from Virginia, I would say, over the next few years. And I think we're going to have some good people in government who are not against hunting, which makes me more encouraged because they were trying to push a few anti-predator hunting contests uh, pieces. And I don't think we're going to see that going forward. And I think all our other types of hunting will be protected, but that's kind of how people can pay attention and, and connect with me. And I'm always open to hearing stories. I want to get tips as well. And also to have more people come on my show as well. So if anyone listening has a unique story, they want to put in my ear, I'm more than well, more than open to and more than open to considering it. Awesome. Thank you, Gabriella. Uh, we are certainly big fans of yours. Uh, thank you for supporting us. And uh, yeah, folks, check out her podcast. She does a great job. District of Conservation podcast. Thanks, Gary. Thank you, guys. An honor. I really appreciate it. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.